This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. To begin tonight's entertainment, we'll go back to 1950. And one of the great news stories that year was the Great Brinks Robbery. The Brinks Armored Car Depot in Boston, Massachusetts, was burglarized by a group of 11 men in a well-planned and coordinated robbery. The robbers used Halloween masks as disguises and completed the robbery in about 30 minutes and stole about $2.7 million. They were not caught until January of 1956, just before the statute of limitations for the robbery expired. Only some of the money was ever recovered. And in 1950, folks were listening to Dimension X on radio, and that's where we begin tonight's show. Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension What you will hear transcribed in the next half hour represents either a magnificent hoax or the true explanation of the famous Grimshaw Sanatorium scandal which made the headlines back in 1947. The manuscript upon which this account is based was removed by the New York State Police from a fountain pen cover found in the doorway to Dr. Grimshaw's study. We offer this manuscript as evidence only. Whether it is authentic or not, you must judge for yourself. John Doherty. I'm a graduate of Hamilton College, class of 34, member of Theta Alpha. I'm one of those fools who wanted some excitement in life. So instead of going into my father's shoe business, I became a private detective. These are facts. You can check them if you like. The rest of what I write here is so fantastic that I don't expect it to be believed. If anyone should find this manuscript and read it, all I ask is that you notify Miss Millicent Armbruster of 299 Wallace Avenue, Buffalo, that Johnny Doherty is dead. On the evening of July 1st, Miss Armbruster and I were driving to a wedding. Not our own, though I wish it had been. It was Sunday, and in order to avoid traffic, I took the old mill road, single-lane dirt affair that runs past the Gowanda Cemetery. Johnny, aren't you going too fast? Uh-huh, not for this road. There isn't a thing around except some tombstones. But Johnny's at the gate of the cemetery. What about? That hurts. I don't see any... Hey, Johnny, look out! Hey. Look out! It was a big black hearse with no lights on, pulling out of the cemetery. Lucky I had good brakes. 
We skidded for about 20 feet and slammed into the back of the hearse. The two rear doors buckled and snapped open. It was a freak. A huge oak coffin with brass handles tipped up and began slowly to slide back toward us. Oh, Johnny, look. The, the coffin is sliding out. Holy... You stay right here, honey. I'll help the driver with that thing. Hey, you okay, Mac? You don't pay much attention to speed limits, do you, Jack? Now, look, let's not get hung up on who was right and who was wrong. I was going too fast, and you were traveling without lights after dark. Main thing is, nobody's hurt and no damage done, except for that coffin. And I don't suppose the occupant minds too much. Let's see the driver's license and registration. Right here. Hmm. John Doherty. Oh, a private eye, huh? You listen to the radio too much, Junior. Now, if you don't mind, who does this joy wagon belong to? Go on the funeral service. It's being rented to Grimshaw. Who? Grimshaw from the private sanatorium. Do you mind if I ask what you were doing after dark coming out of a cemetery with a wooden kimono? We're moving one of Grimshaw's patients to a new grave. Uh-huh. Do they always travel like this? Now, look, Hawkshaw, how about skipping the third degree and giving me a hand getting the box back in the wagon, huh? A pleasure. Better screw on the cover again. It's going to slide off. Well, let's get it in the hearse first. Okay, Junior. You get on that end. Ready? Live. Just slide it. Brother, who's in there, King Kong? Look out for the cover. Hey. Uh, I told you that it happened. Hey, uh, uh, what's the guy's name, Junior? Why don't you ask him? Real wise guy, huh? I've got half a mind to report this accident. Uh, go ahead. See what gets you. Grimshaw's got a lot of influence around here, mister. A lot of influence. Now, if you'll pardon me, I'll deliver the body. So long, Junior. Johnny? Johnny? Coming, honey. Everything all right, Johnny? Well, I thought so until a few seconds ago. Uh, listen, baby, can you sit here in the car for another five minutes? Well, we're due at the wedding in half an hour. I won't be long. Where are you going? For a stroll through the cemetery. Oh, hey, Johnny, stop making jokes. Honey, when we lifted that coffin back on a meat wagon, I got a good look inside of it. Oh. Exactly how I felt. I figured we'd knock the stuffing out of the corpse. Only I didn't expect the stuffing to be sand. What? Yes. It wasn't a body. It was a dummy stuffed with sand, a dummy with a wax face. Johnny! Which brings up an interesting question. Who's supposed to be in that box? And, uh, just where is the dead man spending his time? Sometimes in my business, when things drop off, you have to go out and uh, dig up new clients. Well, my next case was a gentleman named Harlan Ward, Sr., the wealthy automobile manufacturer. I'd gotten his name off his son's tombstone. Are you trying to tell me, Dorothy, that my son Harlan was never buried at Gowanda Cemetery? Exactly, Mr. Ward. Why? Maybe if you'll tell me the circumstances surrounding your son's death, I can help answer that. My son was a rather impetuous young man. Tall, good-looking. After his graduation from Princeton, he began drinking quite heavily. After he got into a couple of scrapes, we sent him to Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium in the hope that he could be cured. While my wife and I were in Europe, 
we received word that he had died. He was buried at Gowanda in our absence. Last week, my wife and I decided to have his body removed to the family vault here at Short Hill. How did your son die, Mr. Ward? Suicide. He slashed his wrists at the sanatorium. You never saw the body? No. We couldn't get back from Europe in time. I see. See here. How do I know this whole thing isn't a plan to fleece me? How do I know that you didn't remove the body yourself? You don't. But you're a rich man, Mr. Ward. And you're perfectly willing to take a chance that I'm on the level. And that your son may still be alive. You sound very sure of yourself, Mr. Dorothy. My fee is $2,000 retainer plus expenses. What sort of expenses? However much it costs to take the cure at Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium. What do you say, Mr. Ward? All right, Dorothy. My secretary will send you a check in the morning. Good. Oh, uh, one other thing. What's that? I want a photograph of your son, a good one. I think that can be arranged. Look here, Dorothy. If I cooperate, how do I know that you won't run off? I won't guarantee it. On the other hand, I might have to get myself killed on this job. We both take a risk, Mr. Ward. <laughs> Dr. Grimshaw's sanatorium was just outside Gowanda, and it was strictly for the 400 at $60 a day. Most of the cases were nervous breakdowns and alcoholics. I committed myself as a dipso, and just to make it convincing, I stopped at five or six bars on the way over. I was interviewed by Grimshaw himself, a small man with a fringe of white hair. He seemed on the level. And yet, there was something just the slightest bit phony about the whole deal. You, uh, understand, Mr. Doherty... Uh, that's not my real name, of course. Social reasons. Mm. We understand. Our paid clientele is very select... Our rates are rather high. You'll be paid in cash and in advance, Dr. Grimshaw. You'll find us most sympathetic. Um, how long does a cure usually take, Doctor? Well, that, of course, depends on the degree of alcoholism. This is my assistant, Dr. Boy, now. How do you do? How do you do? We are accepting Mr. Doherty's patient. Better place him in the ward with Mr. K and Mr. Crakey. Mr. K is a long-term patient, Mr. Doherty. Highly intelligent man, formerly a professor of plant pathology. Mr. Crakey suffers mild delusions. I think you'll find him rather amusing. After about three days, my roommates, Arthur Kay and Crakey, got used to me, and we even began to play three-handed bridge. Kay was a chronic dope addict, an intelligent, sensitive man. Crakey was nothing but a clown. He kept a big black cat named the Professor, which he talked to as if it were human. And so I said to her, my dear Countess, if you don't like the company of my cat, then you don't like me. She looked at me as if I were insane, but of course the joke was on her because I was. <laughs> hey, Professor? You'll have to forgive Count Crakey, Mr. Doherty. When you've been here as long as I have, you'll get used to him. Do you like cats, Mr. Doherty? I do hope you like cats since we are to have adjoining rooms. The professor is very sociable and excellent company. Except when he kills birds and deposits them in your bed. He's nothing but a feline murderer as far as I'm concerned. Ah, uh, see, you have insulted him. <laughs> Come here, professor. Let's make friends. Uh, how about giving me your paw? <laughs> You insulted him. You hurt his feelings. Well, keep him away from me. It will be a pleasure. I would advise you not to insult him again. Count Crakey is not altogether without influence here, as Mr. Cable informed you. Good afternoon. And evening. <laughs> it 
He always as nuts as that. Ever since I've been here. How did they let him keep that black Satan? I don't know. I suppose Grimshaw wants to pamper him. He's been here since they opened the place, I understand. Spends about three hours a day getting therapy from Grimshaw. What's his problem? Manic depressive. A little paranoid, too. Mm. How long have you been here, Arthur? Grimshaw's two years. I left for a while, but I couldn't stay away from the junk, so I committed myself again. Did you uh, happen to know a patient here named Harlan Ward? Why do you ask that? Do you know him? Oh, I met, met him socially a few times. Uh, I understand he died here. So the newspapers said I wouldn't know. Suicide, wasn't it? Was it? You're being pretty careful, aren't you? Mr. Doherty, what would you say if I were to tell you that I don't believe Harlan Ward is dead? What makes you so certain? Harlan Ward used to share this room with us. He slept in the same bed you now use. I see. He was an alcoholic. Doing quite well, too, from what I could observe. We all expected him to go home soon. Then one evening, he had a violent fight with Craigie. Craigie accused him of snooping or something. Later that night, Grimshaw and Boyner took him out. Where? They take all the special treatment cases to the charity clinic. That small building on the other side of the stone wall. I think they do their surgery cases there. Why did they take him there? I don't know. Confinement, I guess. A few days later, we read about his death. Suicide, they said. Why do you think he's still alive, Arthur? This. About a month ago, I was in the garden next to the wall that separates us from the charity clinic. Suddenly, I thought I heard a sound like a child whimpering. It stopped. A moment later, this note came over the wall wrapped around a stone. Then I'm certain I heard a blow and a scream again like a child. What does the note say? Help me, for God's sake, Harlan Ward. I haven't told anyone yet for fear Grimshaw and Boyner might find out. It might just be some insane prank by one of the charity cases. And yet, why should Dr. Grimshaw want to pretend Harlan Ward is dead? I'm not an oracle, Mr. Doherty. What about this charity clinic? I've always been curious. Grimshaw and Boyner make sure that no patient goes there unsupervised. Many of those who've been taken across like Harlan Ward, I've never seen again. Arthur, how'd you like to have some fun? Like what? Like sneaking out tonight and going over the wall. What do you say? It'd break the monotony a little. I don't know. If there's something fishy going on, it'd be better to find out now, wouldn't it? I suppose there's no real harm in it. Of course not. I I'd go alone, but I'll need help scaling that wall. Will you do it? All right. I'll go with you. It was shortly after midnight when Kay and I slipped out of the room and made our way out to the garden. Count Crakey was snoring soundly when we left. The wall was about eight feet high, but we made it without too much trouble. Hunt! All clear. Give me your hand and I'll let you. Now, careful when you drop. Ready? Go ahead. There's a charity building over there. One of the lights in the basement window. Come on. We'll make a run across the driveway and hide in that clump of bushes alongside the building. Ready? All right. Okay, hold it. Drop flat. What's the matter? Let's crawl over toward the window with the light. Maybe we can see something. I suppose you've got to react. Listen. Take it easy. Sounds like Grimshaw. Let's get closer. Can you make out what he's saying? 
Good Lord. What was that? Probably some patient having the DTs. I think it came from that basement window. Let's get over there where I can have a look. Easy. What do I do to get caught now? Just... See anything? Relax. It's some sort of laboratory. That's right. I can see Grimshaw, Boyner, and someone else with its back toward me. If we're still, we may make out what they're saying. Take it quietly. It will be easier. I warn you. It will all be over soon. You won't remember anything. No, I don't want to go. Boyner, give it to him. No, no, no. Shut him up, Boyner. Good Lord. What is it? Come on. We've got to get out of here. What did you see? What did they do to that child? Arthur, that wasn't a child. It was a midget. The smallest midget I've ever seen. What were they doing? Trying to give it some sort of injection. When it resisted, Boyner knocked it out. What did you suppose they were doing to it? I don't know, Arthur. All I know is that when it fell, it had the face of Holland Ward. All the way back to our room, my brain was working like a pinball machine. Only the score wouldn't add up. up. The, the pieces were there, all right. A crazy old doctor, a brutal assistant, a private sanatorium, and a midget with a dead man's face. And I couldn't figure it out. I thought that when I got back to our room, I'd have some time to think about it. But I'd forgotten about our friend, the happiness boy, Count Craigie. Ah! So I've caught you! Fine. So you've caught us. Now, how about crawling back into the woodwork like a good little count? Well, where are you? Mink hunting. Arthur and I like to go mink hunting at night. Funny thing, though, the mink weren't running very good. The grunion were running like crazy, though, weren't they, Arthur? Quite crazy, Mr. Doherty. You make fun of Count Crakey. You're lying. I shall report you to Dr. Voynup. Better not, if you know what's good for you. So you threaten me. Me, Count Crakey. World champion gymnast and barbell balancer. I shall scream for help. Help! Help! You heard him? Just knocked him out. What do we do now? Put him to bed. Hope that when he wakes up in the morning, he's forgotten the whole thing. And if he hasn't? They won't take him seriously anyway. I don't think Grimshaw would believe him. Besides which, he doesn't know what we actually were doing. Come on. Let's get him back into bed. I went to sleep in my own room. And the next thing I felt was the sharp jab of the hypodermic needle in my left arm. I started to struggle, but it was no use. Take it. Boyna and another assistant were holding me down. Grimshaw Please stood over me, the empty needle still in his hand. That's it. <laughs> be useless to struggle, Mr. Doherty. In a moment, your motor nerves will be completely paralyzed. What's this about, Grimshaw? I might ask the same of you. My good friend Count Crakey informs me you and Mr. K decided to do some snooping earlier tonight. He followed you and saw you climb the wall. Craigie's insane. That is a matter of opinion, Mr. Doherty. Craigie, what is this? Perhaps my assistant, Dr. Grimshaw, would be good enough to explain. Assistant? Yes. You see, I am the actual head of the Grimshaw Sanatorium. Grimshaw? Count Craigie feigns many delusions, Mr. Doherty, but in this case, he's telling the truth. Count Craigie is actually Professor Ernst Hassler. Professor Hassler and I worked together in the Berlin Neurological Institute... Before the last war. Unfortunately, my political affiliations with the Third Reich were under investigation after the war by the War Crimes Commission. However, Dr. Grimshaw managed to smuggle me into this country where I masquerade as a mental patient. 
Thus, we are able to continue certain experiments which were interrupted by the American army. I can imagine the sort of experiments you conducted. You and your friend, Mr. K, will discover their exact nature very shortly, Mr. Doherty. It's a magnificent opportunity to serve science. <laughs> I passed out. And the next thing I knew, I was coming to in a different room. I guessed it was somewhere in the charity building because of the angle of the sun through the windows. They had me in a straitjacket and kept doping me until I lost count of time. I, I don't know how long it kept up. I remember one day being wheeled along a corridor into an operating room and hearing the voices of Boyna, Grimshaw, and Crakey as if from a great distance. Pituitrin. Pituitrin. Four cc's. Four cc's. How are the measurements? Reducing rapidly. We'll operate at once. If one has stopped the anesthesia. All right, Doctor. Commence. When I came to again, I had a blinding headache. And after that wore off a horrible sensation of weakness. I began to wonder if Craigie and Grimshaw weren't doing something to drive me insane because I lost all sense of perspective. The room seemed to grow in size. I don't know how much time passed, but one day Grimshaw came into the room with a bundle in his arms about the size of a newborn baby. The bundle was my friend, Arthur Kay. Good morning, Mr. Doherty. I've brought you a companion. I'm sure you two gentlemen will enjoy each other's company. Let me out of here. Let me out. I couldn't believe my eyes until Grimshaw sat Arthur down on the bed beside me. It was then that I got the real shock. For I realized that what had looked like a tiny bundle in Grimshaw's arms was actually the same size that I was. Then, for the first time, I began to understand what was happening to us. Arthur Kay and I were being made into midgets. We got the full explanation next morning when the eminent Professor Hassler, alias Count Crakey, came in to gloat over us. Allow me to congratulate you, gentlemen. How are you feeling? You stinking monster! Oh, I'm disappointed, gentlemen. Do you not feel privileged to be a part of an experiment that will place me at the very top rank of the world's endocrinologists? What are you doing to us? It has been long established, gentlemen, that dwarfism and giantism result from injury to or malfunction of the pituitary and thyroid glands. The interlock between these glands was thought to be a hormone. I have discovered that this was incorrect. It is an enzyme, an enzyme I isolated some years ago. I was well on the way to synthesis in Germany when the surrender interrupted me. The interruption also limited the number and type of subjects on whom I could experiment. I was forced to find others. Such as Harmon Ward? Mr. Ward was only a control experiment. And now you've done the same to us? No, gentlemen. For you, I have reserved a special privilege. You gentlemen will be the first to test the full effects of the enzyme. In short, I intend that you, Mr. K, and you, Mr. Doherty, when the experiment is completed, will emerge as perfectly healthy, normal individuals. Except, of course, that you will be only five inches tall. <laughs> days and nights that followed were a living nightmare. A nightmare from which Arthur and I awoke for brief periods to find ourselves in a strange new world. A huge, frightening world where everything was enlarged a hundred times. When we finally emerged, we found ourselves imprisoned in a tiny mouse cage. Judging by the relative size of things, we could not have been more than five inches tall. Now that our senses cleared, we realized that the experiment was at an end. 
that from now on it was either escape or be destroyed. Another moment, I think I'll have this lockwood loose. And if we escape, then what? We'll worry about that after we get out of this mouse cage. Suppose we don't make it. At least you've written a story on that scrap of paper. Someone may find it and read it. Nobody will believe it. Why'd you bother to write it? I don't know. I, I suppose I want the world to know what happened to me. Does it help me push the door open? <laughs> now what? First job's getting down to the floor. I think we can make it by sliding down the telephone cord. Are you game? Go ahead. I'm right behind you. Easy now. Look out. That does it. Now if we can figure out a way to get out of the room. That should be... Uh-oh. Listen. Somebody's coming. It must be quickie. We've got to hide. Yeah, the grate in the fireplace. He'll kill us if he finds us. Shh. Stay quiet. Well, my friends. Time for feeding. I trust that you... So, you have managed to break out. It won't do, you know. There is no way you could have gotten out of the room with the door and window locked. I know you're in here. I would advise you to save yourselves trouble and give up. Oh? Perhaps you are in the desk drawer. Or behind this decanter. Then perhaps in this cabinet. Very well. I shall count to five. One, two, three, four, five. You will not get off, eh? Very well, my tiny friends. If you prefer to play the game of cat and mouse, then I shall be happy to hurl it. How long do you figure it'll take him to get downstairs and let the cat into the building? Three minutes at most. Then we've got three minutes to get out. How? All the doors in a mental institution locked from the outside. We need a special key to get out, and then we couldn't reach the lock. I don't know. There must be... Wait a minute. What is it? John, what? Do you see that thin strand of wire running along the molding? What about it? Do you know what it is? No. It's the automatic fire alarm. What about it? When the alarm is tripped by a fire, all the locks are sprung so the patients can escape in their rooms. Are you certain? Positive. This door is part of the system. If I can work the insulation off that wire and short it before Craigie lets the cat in the building, let's go. Here's a tiny sliver of steel from the cage on the floor. I'll work with that. You keep an ear to the door. Go ahead. This insulation is tough as raw hide. How much time is it? Not much. There's this stuff here. Let me help. What was that? What? I, I thought I heard a door slam. Frankie couldn't be back so soon. Hurry up, Arthur, for God's sake. Stand away. I'm going to short it. Ready? Okay. We made it. There goes the door. Come on, we'll make a run for it down the hall. If we can get to the garden, we've got a chance. I smell smoke. The short may have actually started a fire. Come on. Oh, wait a minute. What's up? I have to go back. The, the manuscript. Don't be a fool. There's no time. Come on. You go ahead. I, I'll catch up. Hurry up. I'll wait in the hall. Only a second. I've got it. Come on. There's nothing to stop us now. Arthur, where are you? Funny. Arthur? 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 You. 
This is the record found in a fountain pen cover in the burned-out hallway of Grimshaw's sanatorium. There is nothing to add, except that the fire which destroyed the sanatorium and killed so many of its occupants, including Dr. Grimshaw and Dr. Voina, was definitely of incendiary origin. It is believed by the fire chief that some small creature, either a mouse or possibly a cat, chewed the insulation off the wire and short-circuited the system. The two patients, John Doherty and Arthur Kay, vanished completely after the fire, and their remains were never found. Whether the manuscript which you have just heard is authentic, or whether it was the work of one of the more demented inmates of the sanatorium, we leave to your judgment. just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future. The world of... Dimension X. Next week on Dimension X, and the moon be still as bright. The story of the first despoilers of the planet Mars, the men from Earth. Tonight, Dimension X has transcribed Dr. Grimshaw's Sanatorium. Adapted for radio by George Lefferts from an original short story by Fletcher Pratt. Featured in the cast were Carl Weber as John Doherty and Roger DeCoven as Arthur Kaye. Your narrator was Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman. Engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is directed by Edward King. Stay tuned for Robert Young on Father Knows Best, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Father Knows Best, and a show that was first aired in 1951. Mother, is Maxwell House the best coffee in the whole world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. It's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young, his father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. <laughs> spring with all its splendor, all its birds and all its blossoms, all its flowers and leaves and grasses, and its sulfur and molasses. Of course, that's taking slight liberties with Mr. Longfellow and Hiawatha, but I'm sure you get the general idea. It's that lazy, easygoing time of year when it feels good just to sit around and, well, sit. Anyway, that's the way it is in Springfield, in a certain white frame house occupied by the Andersons. Like this. Betty. Betty. Did you say something, Mother? What on earth are you doing? I'm washing the dishes. I know, but you've washed the same dish four times. 
Now stop daydreaming or you'll never get finished. Yes, Mother. <sighs> Mommy, I put all my things away like you said, and I was just... What you doing? I'm taking down the kitchen curtains. What for? So I can wash them. Why? Kathy, isn't there something else you have to do somewhere? I don't think so. Well, how about drying the dishes? Maybe there is something I have to do. <laughs> You'll find a dry towel behind the kitchen door. Start on these, frog face. Okay. Mommy, doesn't Daddy feel well? Of course he feels well. Then why is he sitting in the den? Who, dear? Daddy. He isn't, Angel. He and Bud are out in the backyard in the den. Uh-huh. He and Bud. They're just sitting there. Well, we'll see about that. I'll be back in a minute, girls. Okay. Creepers, what a little snitcher you turned out to be. I'm not a little snitcher. All I did was ask for... I don't know what's gotten into those two. If I don't keep after them every second. Jim. Jim. Uh, You want me, honey? So, you are in the den. I thought you and Bud were going out to beat the rugs. Uh... We were just resting for a minute, that's all. Hi, Rob. Jim Anderson, before you rest, you're supposed to do something. Well, we did. Didn't we, Bud? What? Didn't we? Didn't we what? (laughs) Do something. Oh, sure. We carried the living room rug out. And it's all ready to be beaten. (laughs) It's heavy, too. Jim, one full hour ago, I asked you and Bud... Honey, you can't rush these things. You've got to be careful about them. After all, we've got good rugs, and we want to keep them that way. Don't we? It doesn't take an hour to carry one rug outside. Well, we were doing some research. Tell her about the magazine, Dad. Bud, will you please let me handle this my way? I told you. Well, I thought maybe you forgot. I didn't forget. I expressly told you in the very beginning... What magazine? It isn't important, Margaret. Bud and I were merely looking through some old magazines, and... Well, it isn't important. You said it'd get us out of beating the rocks. Bud. (laughs) Jim, if you mean that idiotic article on the care of carpets... Honey, it is not an idiotic article. It was written by an expert. And he said you should never beat a rug. That's what he said. He said... Since when does a man know anything about cleaning anything? But, Margaret, this man's in the rug business. And he says... My grandmother Williams knew more about cleaning a house in two minutes than he knows in ten years. And she always beat her rugs. The man says that beating a rug does more harm than good. It breaks all the, uh... Well, whatever it's gotten back. Doesn't it, bud? Hmm? (laughs) Doesn't it? You bet, Dan. I bet what? Uh, you bet. <laughs> Jim, my grandmother Williams... Your grandmother Williams didn't have a vacuum cleaner. Of course not. They hadn't even been invented. But if they had been invented... She still wouldn't have used one. Why not? Because they didn't have any electricity. <laughs> but Yes, Dan? Give me a hand with the rug. But you said... Never mind what I said. It'll be easier to beat the rugs. Mother! I'm in the den, Betty. Come on, bud. Roll it up and we'll carry it out. 
Holy cow. <laughs> Mother, I just thought of the most horrible thing. What if it's too cold for my yellow formal? Dear, it's no problem at all. You can always wear the blue one. Again? But, Mother... Lift your feet, will you, Betty? You're standing on the rug. Mother, how can I possibly wear that old thing? You'll think it's the only winter formal I have. Well, it is, isn't it? <laughs> That's what makes it so awful. But hurry up with that rug before something else happens. Want to help me lift the desk? Uh... Just a second. Let's try explaining it once more. <laughs> Margaret. Jim, if you and Bud are too lazy to beat a few small rugs... Small? Bud, please, let me handle it. But she said small. Margaret, it is not a question of laziness. Bud and I are perfectly willing and anxious to do our share of the work around here. <laughs> what was that? I didn't say anything, Father. She said, eh. <laughs> Look, Betty, if you're unhappy with the way this household is being operated... Jim, are you or are you not going to beat the rugs? I'm trying to explain to you. The man said... Daddy! All right, Bud, grab the other side of the desk. <laughs> but aren't you going to tell Mom what the man said? In this house, who can remember what anyone said? Grab the desk. Holy cow. Daddy, a man just came to the back door. Do you know what he was selling? I don't care what he was selling. Are you ready, bud? Okay. Lift. Boy, that's heavy. Daddy, a man just came to the back door. And do you Daddy, know what... I've already told you I don't care what he was selling. Get off the rug, will you, squirt? I have to roll it up. Jim, it won't hurt for her to tell you. Margaret, if you want us to beat the rugs... All right, Kathy. What was he selling? Swimming pools. Fine. We'll take five or six dozen. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, Daddy, we need a swimming pool. Can't we please get one? Honey, feel her head and see if she's all right. <laughs> Kathy, are you sure... Lots of people have swimming pools, and I don't see why we can't have one. Mother, if I have to wear the blue formal again, can't I please take the shoulders off? Betty, the phone is ringing. I know, but all the other girls are wearing them without shoulders, and that's the least you can let me do. Betty, your mother asked you to answer the phone, and anything else can wait until... Pardon me, Dad, you're on the rug. <laughs> Leave the rug alone for a minute. But you said to roll it up. I said to... Betty, the phone! It only has two little straps anyway, and if I cut them off, it'll look all together different. I don't know. And it's red! What is... The swimming pool. Margaret, I think I'll go upstairs and lie down. You just got up. Men going around selling red swimming pools. All right, bud, let's get the rug outside. I just thought of something. What if it rains? It isn't going to rain. You can't be too sure, Margaret. Why don't we uh, wait a few hours and see? Jim? Grab the rug, bud. I just thought of something else. What if... Bud. You want me to take this end, Dad? Either one. They're both the same. Father, did you see an envelope with a lot of writing on the back? But if you're going to take that end, you've got to turn around the other way. What for? So you can see where you're going. Or aren't you interested? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I never thought of that. Did you? 
Did I what? See an envelope with a lot of writing on it. Betty, can't you see I'm busy? Your mother insists on having the rugs beaten and... All right, bud, pick it up. Now? Yes, now. Okay. Who is that on the phone, Betty? Oh, I forgot. Father, Mr. Phillips wants to talk to you. <laughs> well, that's nice. Just any time you get around to it. Oh, I'm sorry, Father. I happened to think of Janie because that's who I thought it'd be. And she needs the information I wrote on the back of the envelope. And then I remembered I'd forgotten where it was. That's all, huh? I think so. Oh, there was one other thing. Mr. Phillips said to tell you he was in a hurry. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Amnesia of some other time. So long, George. I wouldn't go around a golf course today if they carried me piggyback. Jim, I think you'd better come in here. Yes, dear. Fine thing. I'm too tired to play golf and I've got to beat rugs. Father, I'm awfully sorry. Give him the letter, Betty. Give me what letter? I didn't know it was important. And anyway, I forgot all about it. Betty found the letter on which she made her notes. Good. Now, is everybody happy? They are. They won't be for long. The letter's from Mr. Gribble, and it's for you. What? It was next to the telephone, Father, and I didn't know it hadn't been opened. Give me that letter. But I thought you'd already seen it, and I didn't think... It isn't bad enough to have a son who steals all my neckties. Now I've got a daughter who hides my mail. Jumping creepers. I sent the man away, Daddy, and he said to tell Holy you... Holy jumping catfish. Do you know what this letter is? It's only the key to $20,000 worth of insurance. Why, Jim... Listen to this. Dear Jim, my friend Floyd Miller is here at my hunting lodge, but he expects to be in Springfield a week from Saturday. I know you generally don't go to your office on weekends, so I'm taking the liberty of giving him your home address. He wants you to help him set up an insurance schedule, and I feel that an additional $20,000 policy... Betty, do you realize what you almost did? I'm sorry, Father. I didn't do it on purpose. Thank goodness it's next Saturday. The way this house looks today... Dad... Wait a minute. The letter's dated April... Betty, when did this letter arrive? Oh, about a week ago. <laughs> a week ago? Oh, Betty! Dad, it's this Saturday. He'll be here today. Jim, what are we going to do? I don't know, but if anything like this... Oh, my gosh. The man at the door. Oh, dear. Dad... Kathy... Uh... Did the man say he was selling anything? You mean like swimming pools? Like anything. I don't know. 
He just said he wanted to see you about some business. Jim, where are you going? Don't you understand? That was Mr. Miller. I've got to stop him. Dad. What is it? Now can I put down the rug? <laughs> oh, no. Moments later, and the walk outside the white frame house on Maple Street is full of Andersons. Big Andersons, little Andersons, medium-sized Andersons. They're all involved in a gay little game called Button, Button, Who's Got Mr. Miller? Fascinating, isn't it? Kathy, you've got to help us. You're the only one who even saw him. Saw who? Mr. Miller. Oh, Angel, think hard. Did he have a car? I don't know. Uh, was there a car parked in front of the house? I don't know. Well, don't you know anything? I don't know. <laughs> what a little dope. I didn't lose the letter. That's telling us, Squirt. You keep out of it. Well, stop picking on her. Kathy, try to think. When he left the house, did Mr. Miller walk over to a car? Jim, wouldn't it be easier to call Mr. Gribble? Honey, you can't call Mr. Gribble. You remember that rat trap he calls a hunting lodge? No lights, no phone, no water. No. What? He didn't. Who didn't what? Mr. Miller. He didn't walk over to a car. I just remembered. Well, now we're getting somewhere. He ran down to the corner. He ran? Jimmy Woody's dog chased him. <laughs> oh, fine. How to make friends and influence customers. Dad, maybe if I get on my bicycle. Just a minute, bud. We don't even know what he looks like. Gosh, that's right. Was he a tall man, Kathy? Well, pretty tall. That's a big help. What's pretty tall? Five feet, six feet, seven feet, five feet. Kathy. Seven feet? <laughs> Let's just forget about that. Uh, was he wearing a coat? Oh, sure. And pants, too. <laughs> I mean, was he wearing a top coat? I don't think so. All right. So far, we know he's a man between five and seven feet tall wearing a coat and pants. Do you remember what color his suit was? Oh, sure. It was uh, sort of a bluish brown. Now, there's a great description. Have I ever heard one? Well, it was kind of blue and brown. How about his eyes? Oh, he had those all right. <laughs> I mean the color, dopey. Betty, if she can't remember the color of a man's suit, how do you suppose... I remember his eyes, Daddy. They were brown. Not bluish brown? Oh, no. I remember because he looked just like somebody we know. He did? Who? What? Who did he look like? You've got to remember. Try hard, Angel, please. Oh, I remember. He looked just like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that takes care of that. Jimmy, he couldn't have gone very far. That's right, Dad. He only left here a couple of minutes ago. I know, but which way did he go? He went that away. Betty. I'm sorry, Father. It slipped out. 
I couldn't help it. You can't help anything these days, can you? Well, it won't do any good to stand out here and argue. All right, let's go inside and argue. (laughs) I have a better idea. Kathy. Yes, Mommy? Suppose you run down to the bus stop and see if Mr. Miller's there. Okay. Margaret. Go ahead, Kathy. If he's there, do you want me to bring him back? Yes. Alive, if possible. (laughs) But you can ride up and down all the cross streets and see if you can find anyone who... Well... Looks like the Hathaway's Cocker Spaniel. (laughs) Jim, we're doing this for you. And I'm very grateful. Go ahead, bud. Say, I've got a great idea. I'll get the fellows to help me. Fine. If you see anybody wearing a coat and a pair of pants, ask him if his name is Floyd Miller. (laughs) Okay, Dad. We'll make the Northwest Mounties look safe. Well? What? Where do I go? Uh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> I didn't intend to. All right, Betty. Hmm? You and I are going inside and straighten up the house. Creepers, we just got it pulled apart. Margaret, you don't think there's any possibility of their finding the man. Why, hey. Now what? There's a taxi. Maybe he saw Miller. Hey, taxi! Taxi! Come along, Betty. What a family. Nothing ever goes right. Taxi! Yes, sir. You want a cab, mister? Uh, not exactly. You see, we're looking for, uh... You didn't happen to see a man in a... Well, a bluish-brown suit, did you? A what? Well, my daughter's the only one who saw him, and she said... Mister, I almost broke my neck getting over here, and you just want to ask me questions? Oh, no. I'll be glad to pay you for your trouble. You see, we're trying to find a man named Floyd Miller. He came to the house, but we didn't know who he was. I told my daughter... You, uh, don't want a cab, huh? No. You see, I got a letter from a client of mine, J.P. Gribble, and he said... Where? Now they're hiring cowboys to drive the taxis in Springfield. Isn't that nice? Uh-uh. Oh, hello, sir. I was just telling the driver... I'll be telling him a few things myself. Can I see your license, please? What did I do? Officer, I'd like to explain... Just a second, please. What was that you said? I didn't do nothing. What did I do? And let's see now. Outside of making a U-turn, exceeding the speed limit, and parking on the wrong side of the street... I can't think of a thing. Well, sure. Officer, but... if you'll just let me explain. Dad, will you hear what I did? I got eight but guys. I was talking to the officer. But I have to tell you, I broke the whole neighborhood up into districts. What an organization. And I told them to stop everybody who looks like a cocker spaniel. Like a what? Officer, you see, we're trying to find a I'll man... I'll see you later, Dad. I gotta keep going. Officer, uh, you've heard of J.P. Gribble. Now, wait a minute. What was that about a Cocker Spaniel? Well, that's what he looks like. Who? Uh, Floyd Miller. You see, he came to the house, and my daughter thought he was selling swimming pools. Oh, she did. (laughs) Tell him about the bluish-brown suit. You keep out of this. Well, that's what the guy said. Get out of here before I run you in. Yes, sir. Oh, hey, wait a minute. That's not what he meant. Now, look what you've done. I'm awfully sorry, but all I did was... Father, come in here. We found him. You did? Mother talked to Mrs. Gribble on the phone. Officer, I've got to go inside. You're staying right here. But why? What did I do? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) Nobody ever does anything in my beach. I'll be right in, Betty. Hurry. All I ever do. Walk up and down. Where is he? What did Mrs. Gribble say? Isn't it wonderful? 
mother had a hunch and called her, and she gave mother the phone number. Honey, you're a genius. I've been telling you that for years. Remind me to kiss you later. I'll do that. Now hurry up and make the call. It's Rock Falls 235, ring six. Margaret, I'd love you even if you weren't rich. Oh, you just say that. Long distance is 113. Thank you very much. Well, I was just trying to help. Hello, long distance? Rock Falls 235, ring six. Honey, I... Oh, no, not you, operator. I, uh, I want Rock Falls 235, ring six. Thank you. Isn't it exciting? Uh, who do I ask for, Mr. Miller or Mr. Gribble? Uh, Mr. Finch. <laughs> Mr. Who? Finch, like a bird. Who is Mr. Finch? He's a farmer who lives a mile away from the Gribble's Lodge. And whenever he goes by, he delivers messages. Oh, that's a great help. Well, it's certainly better than nothing. Oh, I suppose... Hello? Oh. Well, thank you very much. What did you say, Jim? The circuits are busy. Oh, fine. Dad, we found him. We found him. Bud, you'll hurt yourself. We found Mr. Miller. We found Take him. Take it easy, son. Let's not get all excited. Now, where did you find him? Cassie found him waiting for the bus. Creepers. He'll be here any second. I just knew. Wait a minute. Where are you going? I have to stop the fella. Bud! You're paying them five cents a block. I... Well, hurry up! I'll be back. Five cents a block, eight boys. This can cost me a fortune. Margaret, maybe I better go help Bud round them up. You'll stay right here and round up the rugs. But, honey, we can't possibly get them. Holy jumping catfish. I haven't shaved. Well, you're not going to shave now. You take care of the rugs while Betty and I put the curtains back in the kitchen window. Honey, there isn't any. Come along, Betty. Yes, Mother. Margaret, he isn't going into the kitchen. He might. Rugs. How can I get the rugs? Daddy! Well... Hello, Mr. Anderson. Come right in. Thank you. Daddy, I found him waiting for the bus, just like Mommy said. I know, kitten. Bud told us all about it. Well, I'm certainly glad Kathy was able to find you. Oh, that's quite all right, Mr. Anderson. I was only too happy. Kathy, why don't you go into the kitchen and see if you can't help Mommy? Can't I even listen? This will be just business, kitten. It wouldn't interest you at all. Now, run along like a good girl. Gee whiz, I never get to do anything. She's a sweet child, isn't she? Yeah, she, uh... <clears throat> I hope you'll forgive the way the house looks. It's, uh... Well, you know how it is with spring cleaning. Oh, yes. Happens every year, doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Oh? I think you'll get a kick out of this. We thought you were selling swimming pools. Swimming pools? <laughs> Isn't that the silliest thing you ever heard? <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly is. <laughs> swimming pools. <laughs> suppose we might as well get down to business. Uh, all right, Mr. Anderson. I represent the little giant potato peeler, and I'm going to give you a demonstration of the finest kitchen aid this world has ever known. Oh, now, this is no. a one-piece solid steel, rust-proof, tarnish-proof, pull-proof kitchen coffee for your family this weekend, you'll be looking for the best value. And in coffee, that automatically means the best flavor. For after all, the enjoyment of truly fine flavor is what you really want from coffee. So take home the one coffee that's famous the world over for flavor, our Maxwell House coffee. 
in the familiar blue tin with the big white cup and drop. Then let your husband, the world's greatest coffee expert, enjoy that famous flavor. When he smiles and says, best coffee ever, you'll know Maxwell House is your coffee. And value? Well, count for yourself all the wonderfully satisfying cups you get from each pound. Yes, for coffee that gives you your money's worth and more in superbly delicious flavor, always choose Maxwell House. Coffee that's always good to the last drop. It's later now in the hectic day, and the Anderson household is a buzz of springtime activity. Bud is busy beating rugs. Kathy is busy waxing tables. Margaret and Betty are busy with the curtains and drapes. And Jim, well, he's busy with the phone. Like this. Operator, we canceled the call to Rock Falls. I know, but... But... Oh, they're calling us. I beg your pardon. Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Hello? Hello, J.P. How are you? Well, that's fine. Oh, sure, I got your letter. No, there wasn't any, uh... He what? Oh. Well, sure, I understand. Okay, J.P. Oh, not at all. See you next week. Thank you, J.P. Goodbye. Who was it, dear? It was Gribble. It was? What on earth did he want? Oh, he, uh... He just wanted to tell me about Floyd Miller, that's all. What about Mr. Miller? Well, it seems that he's going to stay at the lodge for another week. There isn't anything wrong, is there? Oh, no. He just sprained his back beating Gribble's rugs. again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Ted Donaldson as Bud, June Whitley, Rhoda Williams, Norma Jean Nilsson, Jack Moyle, Jerry Hausner, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Gunsmoke, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.